The Fire Store, equipping protectors with passion. Every decision the Fire Store makes as a company is about its customers. As the holiday season has quickly approached, explore a wide selection of unique and practical gifts at the Fire Store's gift center. Find the perfect presence for firefighters, EMTs, and first responders today. The Fire Store's goal is to get you the gear you need when you need it at prices you can afford. Visit thefirestore.com for everything but the truck and shop its family of brands including Streamlight, MSA, Lion, Fleer, and more. Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, Visit MagnaGrip.com. Good evening. Welcome to the December issue of Fireground Strategies and Other Stuff from the Street on Fire Engineering Blog Talk Radio. I, I can't believe it's the end of the year. It's the last one we're doing uh, this year. Uh, it flew by. Uh, all the days are flying by for me now since I'm retired. I'm, I'm just out five years. You're almost 10, right, Chief? I'm uh, almost nine. Almost nine. Okay. But anyway, um, I'm thinking of the holidays, and I, I'm a Christian, so I celebrate Christmas. Um, I think Christmas time of year is a great thing, but there are many, many other faiths and and. Uh, groups that celebrate different things. So to our listeners, whatever you celebrate, um, I hope you have a, a safe and joyful one, uh, whether you're celebrating Hanukkah, which today is the last day. Um, enjoy it and uh, enjoy your family. Um, spread some cheer, spread some love. Um, on a sad note, today is the 11th anniversary of the Sandy Hook shooting here in Connecticut. And um, that's a pretty big deal. Um, I don't want to discuss, you know, any gun control or any of that stuff. But what I want to do discuss some of these shootings, a lot of these shootings that are happening is because we treat each other badly. We're mean. We're angry. We're divisive. Um, we're right. We're left. We're uh, Christian. We're Muslim. We're, we're Jewish. It's just this hate that shouldn't be there. Let's just try to be, um, as firefighters, we should try to just reach out and be kind to each other and take care of each other. It's a, it's a sad day here in Connecticut. Uh, when that happened, I was at the Connecticut Fire Academy taking a class. I don't even remember who was speaking. That's how uh, overwhelming it was as part of the seminar series. Uh, but there was a volunteer from the Sandy Hook Fire Department there. He stood up, turned white, and just quickly said, uh, we have a shooting in one of our schools, and he left the classroom. And, uh, you know, it was a pretty dramatic event. And and I think this is happening too much in our country. So, um, you know, be aware of how you treat people. People are suffering. People are afraid just like you. Um, but I am grateful to live in this great country because nobody's dropping bombs on us, you know, and, and we're pretty good. But anyway, that was just a short little thing because I woke up this morning. The first thing I saw in the news was, you know, it's the 11th anniversary of Sandy Hook. So, of, of course, I, I, I feel that here. You know, it's it's not far from me. So, um, you know, um, but again, uh, in the spirit of the holidays, you know, um, enjoy your families, um, love your families. And, 
you know, give them a hug. You know, you never know what's going to happen today and they may not come home. And Chief, I know you, you've you always been close to your daughters. You, you take care of them. You see them. Uh, you make sure they're all right. And that's so important. As firefighters, uh, when we go to work, um, remember, you know, tell your kids you love them. Tell your wife you love them or your husband, whatever it is or they are. Um, it's important because it it may be a day that you might not make it home. So uh, just think of that. So, so Chief, from here where I'd like to go with you, because you had a major, major incident where you used to work in uh, yeah. North Hudson. And I'd like you to, um, you know, you know a lot more about it than I do. I've looked at your videos and, and your article you're starting to work on. Um, I think it's great. And there was some outstanding rescue efforts by some people who by all means should have been unable to um, make that grab. So could you uh, go over mm -hmm. it a little bit with, you know, like beginning with what started, what kind of buildings it was in and, and move through the whole thing? Yeah. Um, and if you got any kind of asides or, or uh, inquiries, I'm, you know, missing something, just let me know. Um, yeah, it was uh it was, the, it was on Thanksgiving there. They're calling it the Thanksgiving miracle. And, uh, to be quite honest, uh, somebody was looking out for us, man. There was, uh, I, I believe there was a divine intervention, whether it was, uh, Vinny Neglia who, uh, died after a backdraft back in 2006 or chief flood or, you know, any number of guys, somebody was looking out for somebody, man. Um, I, I did a, um, a, a short, um, sort of synopsis of it for my column in the FMBA, which is the union paper in New Jersey. And, uh, I'm, uh, planning on, and you know, if, if, you know, if they want me to, which it seems like maybe they will, um, because I have more of a direct, uh, uh, sort of relationship of fire engineering. Um, I'm going to be looking to do an article with the incident commander whose name is Anthony Venezia. Um, good deputy, uh, good fire ground commander, a lot of experience. He, um, it was my old shift actually. And, uh, it was nighttime on Thanksgiving. I'm going to say probably, well, it was dark out. So I'm not even sure what time the fire came in. Uh, that information I will get, but it, it was early evening. It had to be like seven, eight o'clock, something like that. Maybe, maybe even earlier, maybe six. Um, it the fire building was in West New York, which is one of the towns we cover. Um, on Bergen Line Avenue, which is uh, the most congested street in the most congested city in America. Um, it was on the corner of 53rd Street and Bergen Line Avenue. Uh, we get a lot of work on Bergen Line Avenue. Um, Vinny Neglia was killed in a backdraft on Bergen Line Avenue. We had a, another backdraft on uh, 32nd Street in Davis's Toy Store on Bergen Line Avenue some years ago, probably around 2001, 2002. Uh, and, uh, this one on 53rd in Bergen line was, uh, was another, uh, backdraft and a smoke explosion is, is what they're surmising. Um, at first people were thinking gas, but, uh, there is no evidence that there was any gas there. I mean, they're still investigating, so I could be wrong, um, on that. Um, anything that comes out, you know, before the article comes out, certainly pass, pass people's way. Um, the uh, fire started, uh, appeared to have started on the second floor of a three-story ordinary um, mixed use, which some people call a taxpayer, uh, three-story apartments up above, uh, probably uh, 20 by 80, 
um, when they uh, pulled on the scene, the Bergen Line Avenue side is where the stores are. The residential side is on the 53rd Street side. It was it was a corner building, and uh, the uh, they pulled up to heavy fire, venting out of a, a second floor window on the uh, 53rd Street side above the stores. Uh, the store was a pharmacy. Uh, it, it wasn't involved, I don't believe. Um, on the 53rd Street side, there was uh, really, really evil-looking smoke, and uh, they uh, there were people at the, win- at the windows on the third floor. So the first two engines that got there, uh, they you know the ladder wasn't there yet. Uh, it was probably only about a minute out, but uh, they um, they decided that we have to get these people out because the you know the you know the, the danger involved. So the first engine started raising ladder, and uh, they raised the 24. The window was 26 feet, so they had to climb the window, climb the ladder, get up on almost the tip of the ladder, and pull the people out of the window because uh, the engines carry 24s, right? Um, the ladder, once the ladder got there, they raised the 35. Uh, the second engine stretched the line into the building. Um, the first ladder got on the scene, and uh, again, they, they started um, raising a ladder, but they also accessed the roof. They raised raised ladder roof. The rescue went up above the fire. Um, the fire building on the, uh, we're going to call the 53rd Street the Alpha side, so it would be the Delta side, would be the Bergen Line side. Uh, the Delta exposure was a two-story ordinary um, store on the first floor. Uh, looked like it was actually two stores on the first floor. It looked like two buildings, but it really wasn't. It was two addresses, but it wasn't. Um, so uh, there were shared joist pockets between the uh, second floor of the fire building, between the second and third floor of the fire building, and the cockloft of the uh, of the D exposure. So, you know, uh, uh, Anthony Venezia told me that, you know, everything appeared to be going well when he pulled up. Lines were being stretched. Uh, so water supplies were secured. Um, they were pulling a two and a half. Uh, lad- roof, roof had been ladded. The rescues were being made. And uh, everything seemed to be going the way it was supposed to be going. And uh, um, they were uh, they were up on the second floor, you know, getting the line in and, and, and you know, supporting the search and uh, protecting the rescue. And uh, without warning, um, there was an explosion in the D exposure and it blew out the front wall and it caused the roof to lift and then drop down in a, uh, a supported lean to fashion. Um, well, it would be it's opposite of what I'm doing. It, 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 it leaned towards the fire building and uh, there were guys on that roof because what happened was the second new ladder because they couldn't ladder the Bergen line side because of the, the venting fire, which was now auto exposing it to the third floor. They laddered the two story exposure and they brought the equipment up to the roof, including a roof ladder. And they were in the process of uh, accessing the three story roof. A couple of them had already gotten up there, uh, but uh, I believe three guys were still on the roof. And when the backdraft occurred, um, they were, they were blown up in the air. Um, there's a picture uh, and I'm sure it will be in the article uh, of a guy that I thought was standing on the three-story roof, and it, it turns out he wasn't. He was in the air, and uh, that firefighter landed on the roof. Um, he broke an ankle, broke a foot. Uh, I believe he, he damaged his knee and his, his hip and his shoulder, and he also had broken ribs. 
and he landed back on the roof. Another firefighter was uh, not quite injured quite as badly. He also landed on the roof, uh, but they were up on the sort of the upper side of the roof, the upper side of the lean-to. Um, the captain, who went up in the air, landed flat on the roof, and uh, the, the guys on the three-story roof said they saw him, thought he was dead. Um, as After he landed on the roof, he started sliding down towards the fire. Uh, but he had blown his knee in backwards, and he had no ability to do anything for himself. So uh, the firefighter who was severely injured with the broken foot, broken ankle, etc., and the other firefighter who was also pretty injured, they dragged him. And he was about, I'm going to say, got to be at least 270 in gear at the minimum. They dragged him from that lean-to all the way up to the D1 roof um, with the injuries that they had. Um so while that was going on, almost maybe 10 seconds after the smoke explosion, um, which in fact, the, you know, and I'm kind of a little bit all over the place, the, uh, the roof of the two-story, which, which blew up and blew down, that was a result of what appeared to be a smoke explosion. It appeared that the, uh, the heated gases and uh, above their ignition temperature, I imagine, the heated gases... Uh, permeated through the joist spaces into the cock loft of the de-exposure. And I guess at some point they ripened, and that's when the explosion occurred. Um, so all the things that were going on on that de-exposure roof, while that was happening, about 10 seconds or so after the original exposure, explosion between the floors, there was a backdraft on the th- in the third floor cock loft of the fire building. Uh, it dropped the ceiling. It... Uh, the third floor became, you know, uh, well involved. Um, the guys in the rescue on the third floor had to uh, bail out on ladders. Um, the guys on the roof said that they thought the building was collapsing. The roof was the roof swayed a few times and it lifted, and uh, they just hightailed it back to the aerial. And the one captain told me when I got to the aerial, I was like, "Man, that was close." He was the last one on the aerial. Um, and the aerial ladder mounts for the ladder pipe were broken, which was evidence that the roof did in fact lift, but it settled back down. You know, the miracle of the building didn't explode. Um, but the mounts for the ladder, because the ladder was, you know, sort of just above the roof line, so the roof lifted and hit it. Um, while that was going on, the guys on the second floor, one of them was a battalion chief and another one you know, really well was a captain. Uh, there were, I think there were four or five guys on that second floor. The force of that backdraft blew them down the stairs. One guy was blown from, like, it was like straight run stairs, I think. One guy was blown from the third middle of the stairwell all the way down to the street. These guys were also blown down to the street. And uh, one of the company officers told me that when uh, when he got down to the street and, and he, he landed, he, he hurt his, his arm uh, because he landed with such force. He expected to see the building collapsed, and he couldn't believe that it didn't collapse on him. But when he looked up, the building was still there. Um, so in all, they had uh, they had eight injuries. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of guys with with some. I, I want to say uh, uh, we have a lot of vets in North Hudson, um, uh, and they told me one of the guys was saying that you know what, and he wasn't injured. I don't believe. He said, I, I survived two IEDs over in Afghanistan, and now I'm going to deal with this shit. He goes, I got roofs exploding. You know, um, 
There are some guys that are questioning whether they're going to come back because of what happened. Um, I think they all will be back um, if, if they're able to. Um, the, uh, the, there's some concern that uh, one or two of them may not be back due to the injuries. But, well, you know, hoping, hoping. Um, but, uh, you know, as I said, um, and I wrote in the article, I said it could have been the worst day in, in North Hudson Fire's 25-year history. But uh, I think based on what, you know, what happened there, uh, the resiliency and the, the bravery um, of the guys, and including some of them that were severely injured, I think it made it one of our best days, you know. And uh, everybody miraculously is going to survive. It could have been completely different. Could have been totally different. And, you know, I, I think with the article, I think I'm going to, you know, utilize interviews and, uh, and, and you know, get quotes. You know, I'm, I don't know if I'll use names. I, I don't know if Fire Engineering like should do that. I'm not sure if North Hudson wants me to do that. But uh, I'm going to get together with the incident commander, and, and hopefully within the next few months we'll have a, you know, a really uh, solid, comprehensive, and uh, um, uh, information-packed article about what happened there. Because uh, to be quite honest, I've never seen that happen before. Um, in the almost 40 years I'm on a job, a uh, backdraft and a smoke explosion in two different places almost simultaneously. Some people might have seen that, but, uh, you know, I certainly didn't. And uh, I, I have to say that was my old shift, and I'm, I'm extremely proud of, of, of what, they, what they did there, you know. Um, I, I think uh, it was way, way above and beyond, you know. But they'll tell you it's just doing a job. Yes, sir. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm sure there's more, and, and I'm sure I didn't cover everything, but uh, um, real, uh, real harrowing, you know, real harrowing. Let me ask you a question. Uh, civilian injuries? Um, there, they, I believe they pulled two people out of the top floor. Um, I think everybody else got out. You know, it was Thanksgiving. It was around it was around dinner time, so maybe it was before eight o'clock. Yep. And uh, some of the people they interviewed um, said, "You know, we were just about to sit down to dinner." You know, and uh, you know, and there were people who were in the exposures that uh, felt the you know, they didn't even know there was a fire in a the building. They felt the explosion, and people behind the building down the block felt the explosions, and you know, just uh, you know, and you know, came running out into the street, etc. I don't believe there were any other injuries, which. Uh, um, which was was great, you know. Thank God. Yep. Thank God. Well, right? uh, Peter just said that um, uh, Jeffers has a bunch of pictures, and if if you're from New Jersey, mm. you know him. You know, he's everywhere. Yeah. He's been a fire photographer probably since before you got on a job. Like maybe not that far back. That was a hundred years ago. Yeah, that far back. But uh, that you know, he, he's incredible. He's at every job in that he can get to, mm. and that's uh pretty amazing so um you know and they've been giving him they've been giving him a lot of opportunities you know uh not only this fire the next day they had a fire in a, a really heavy fire condition a commercial building but this year has been a really interesting year in north hudson we had three simultaneous multiple simul three simultaneous multiple alarm fires is that how I say it? Three different days, they had multiple simultaneous, multiple alarm fires. Um, uh, in, uh, in, in Early in the year, they had um, a four-story apartment building where they made a bunch of rescues 
they had a floor collapse, and uh, eventually the whole wing of a building collapsed. Um, that went to four alarms. Uh, about a half hour into that fire, they had a fully involved bowstring truss um, building in, in Union City with exposures all over the place. They, they were lucky none of the exposures lit off. They did a great job. Um, about a month later, you know, and we hadn't had one of those since 2001 when we had four four alarm fires in one night. And we were like, so to the day, to the day was this second multiple fire with the bowstring trust and everything. And, you know, so you think, hey, you know, every 20 years or so, two months later, they get five stores on Bergen Line Avenue in West New York. And as that fire was sort of winding down, but all the companies were still committed, they get four stores in Union City on Lower Bergen Line Avenue. About three weeks later, they have four buildings going in Union City on 8th Street. And as the companies were heading down to 8th Street, and Ron Jeffers being one of them heading down there, somebody stopped the cop car in front of him and said, there's a fire over here. There were three buildings going in Weehawken. I remember so, that incident. Uh, you invited every yeah. county... You, you had North Hudson there. You had all, all the surrounding counties were in uh, North Hudson for New that. Jersey City, Hoboken, um, Union County, Essex County. So what they do now, back in, 2000, uh, uh, in 2001, in December, um, we didn't have these, these multiple uh, mutual aid plans in place like that. And so Jersey City also had a four-alarm fire that night. So Jersey City was unavailable. So we had departments from all over the place, including New York City. And New York City, their ladder three, which had just been uh, reassigned after being destroyed on 9-11, it was the first fire that that ladder went to. It was in Union City. And uh, But since then, um, we've had uh, – well, no, we also had – we had a fatal fire – about three years ago in Union City, there was a fatal fire in Summit Avenue, and it was such a cold and windy night that the embers blew three blocks away into a steeple of a church, and that became a three-alarm fire or a four-alarm fire, and the church steeple collapsed, and they, you know there were smaller fires all over the place because if you know North Hudson, you know there's never a fire without two exposure problems. You know, so we've certainly given Ron Jeffers some and some great. Uh, Great work. And to be honest with you, then the fourth edition of Fire Gun Strategies coming up, there's a lot of pictures uh, from those fires and, and a real lot of Ron Jeffers pictures. Plus, there's a bunch of Damian Dennis pictures, who is probably know him. The, the he's the second. Well, there's also Billy Tompkins, too. There's some great fire photographers in New Jersey. And uh, they, uh, uh, Damian Dennis gave me access to his files. And I have a lot of pictures from uh from his uh, book. And if I might, just before I, I finish this little tangent, I want to throw a shout out to Timmy Olk. Timmy Olk oh, has yes. been, uh, you know, uh, under the weather and uh, facing some health yes. challenges. And uh, we just want to throw good wishes out there to Timmy and his family and, and uh, you know, the whole Chicago area uh, fire service that, uh, you know, Timmy serves. So, you know, um, hoping that you're doing better, brother. Yeah, I got to agree. Everybody listening, you know, uh, please keep him in, in your prayers. Um, a good man and uh, fighting a, a hard battle. I, I, I hope all goes well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so the stories you were just talking about, what I want to tell people, I don't know whether people who listen to us understand uh, we have three-man engines where I worked in Wallingford, but we're a sub suburban fire department. 
you are Union City, um, you know, that whole area uh, in North Hudson, it's an urban, it's an urban, urban city, high rise buildings, um, um, close together, um, and you run three man engines. And that it's, it's difficult where I worked, and I can't even imagine in the environment that you work in uh, running with three man engines. So um, sometimes three man ladders, you know what the secret is? Keep striking alarms, man. Yes, and early. Keep striking alarms. Early, early, early. Yep, Don't early. wait till you need them. Don't wait. Because. Don't wait. We, we, listen, we, we, we respond with four engines, two ladders, uh, a rescue, a uh, RIT team, which is another squad, a uh, safety officer, a battalion, a deputy. I mean, we're 30 strong on a first alarm. But because of the exposure issues that we have and, and that sort of thing, it's never enough. So you almost always hear – you know, you hear like, you know, we got a work and fire, strike a second alarm. It's, it's almost no automatic. Yeah, well, Hudson, you know. an ex a prime example is if you have a fire on the fifth floor of a multiple dwelling, and like you said, um, you know, mixed occupancy stores on the bottom um, and apartments above. To stretch a line to the fifth floor on those buildings, you have to have a minimum of two engine companies working together. And um, I love what you do with your standpipes. The, the pump operator of the second do engine controls from the hookup where you would hook up to a standpipe on the floor below. And I think that's a brilliant idea, you know, so. Yeah, that, that's, that's in the high rise. Yeah. yeah and, and the two firefighters on that engine would assist in the stretch from there and the firefight with the initial uh, attack line. And, and I love that. I think okay. it, it's brilliant use of limited manpower. Well, we use two engines to stretch the first line. And, and my philosophy was, and I always did it on my shift. I believe the other ships do it as well. If it's on the third floor above the third engine also helps stretch the first line. So that gives us six guys stretching a line because we have, you know, one pump operator, one water supply guy, and that third engine coming in, that guy is going to be sort of involved in setting up a second water supply. Because we basically will do, you know, a ladder, two engines, and two engines. You know, one maybe a telesquirt, which we try to get a telesquirt in behind the ladder, you know. And then the then the other outer engines become water supply. So we get two water supplies in a block. And then anything else we need for water supply, generally we use manifolds. And then the engines go out to different mains. And the manifolds you can drop any way you want. Yep. You know, so necessity, man. Yeah, I, I necessity. I agree. I agree. And um, you know, in in today's world, all fire departments are I won't say all, most fire departments are operating with minimum or less than minimum manpower to get jobs done. And we have to be creative. We have to continue doing much like you do. You've learned your city over the years, how to make it better. And you're a relatively new department, you know. Yeah, 25 years. 25 years. That's And you're like coming right up on 25 years, aren't you? January 11th next year, 25 yes. years, which can't believe how fast that went. Yeah. And when you're on Weehawken, how how many members did Weehawken have at that time before the um, unification? Weehawken had about 50 guys. Uh, we were the smallest department, um, but we had, uh, I think we had 11-man shifts with a uh, nine-man minimum or something. 12-man shifts with a 10-man minimum. 
So one guy was me. One guy was the pump operator, which left us eight guys to begin starting to fight the fire. So we would always, you, you know, automatic aid was the, uh, was the name of the game. Yeah. And, uh, back then also, you know, they, they smartened up, they got it. They, they put any differences aside for the, uh, for the good of the public and the, and really not quite honestly good for the good of the firefighters. Yeah. You know, more guys mean, you know, uh, less guys getting hurt. Absolutely. Hopefully. And more civilians being saved, more lives being saved. And more civilians being saved. Exactly. And it's, it's, exactly. it's efficient. And what you just talked about automatic aid, I think we've learned our lesson in the fire service everywhere. Although some places they're still stubborn. They're not calling for help till they need help. Um, mm. But and a lot of the, volunteer departments, um, smaller career departments or smaller combination departments that automatic, as soon as the word smoke showing or fire showing dispatch is automatically putting different units on the road. Um, so, um, I'm just, I was just teaching. I still have one more class to do. I did all four shifts for, uh, a small career department near me. Um, it's a district. They, Today, anything that's a fire, there's an, an engine or an engine and a truck, depending on what the call was, coming at the same time. So two fire departments are going at a minimum to a fire in this town that sounds like it's going to be a working fire. 20 years ago, they didn't do that. You know, you weren't, you weren't allowed to go to a call until you were dispatched. Um, as you know, um, I'm originally from Long Island, the all volunteer department where over 7 million, 7 million people live there. It's all volunteer departments there, but it's during the day um, in some departments between the hours of 6 a.m. and 7 p.m., two departments are going to every call at a minimum because in a volunteer mm -hmm. department on a Tuesday afternoon, how many members do you have? You know, 10 o'clock. There are a lot of, I'm sorry. No, yeah. At 10 o'clock at night, you're getting enough from a single volunteer department, but 10 o'clock in the morning, everybody's at work and nobody works in yeah. their own village or town or city anymore. Everybody commutes. So the mm -hmm. automatic aid, I think, is so important. Uh, get ahead of the curve, because mm -hmm. as you know, being an incident commander, if you look over your shoulder and nobody's standing behind you, you're screwed, right? I know you, you say that all the time. If there's, exactly. if there's nobody behind you, um, we're in trouble. So if you call them now and the more alarms, again, from your book, they're farther and further away. The circle gets bigger. So when you call on the third alarm, they're coming from maybe 15 miles away. In volunteer communities, it could be 20 miles away. You know, in rural areas, it's takes a long time. Oh man, and um, and then in the districts that don't have hydrants, they got to bring their water too. Mm -hmm. You know, where yeah, takes a long time. It always seems like longer. Oh my god, you know, I call it, but it does take a long time sometimes. You oh, know, oh yeah, I, I live in a a rural area. I don't live where I work, so I live in a, a very rural community. Uh, they just had a water main brought in on the main street that goes through town. So I think they have like eight hydrants now, maybe 12 hydrants. I, I don't know exactly, but they never had hydrants before. So where I live, I'm four miles, 
no, maybe five miles from the closest firehouse. And they have to bring, they have a thousand gallons on their first engine and then 3000 gallon tankers come after that. And they set up the ponds in the street to uh, supply the first engine. Um, It's quite the operation. These guys are brilliant. And they're good at it. They're very good at it. Me, when I first moved here, I was like, whoa. (laughs) You know, it's- Yeah. we get a water main break or we lose water somewhere in, in the in the district, you know, anywhere in the regional, we're like, oh, sh- oh my God, yeah. what are we going to do? You know, we bring in tankers and stuff, but, you know, we don't know how, to, know how to operate tankers, you know, so we we make, we set them up as task forces and we make one of the guys from the tanker task force and completely out of town, usually way from out of county, Monmouth County, you know, places like that, Bergen County. You know, look, you're, you're, the, you're the tank of task force leader here because you know how to do it, and we don't. Yes, sir. So we'll work together. Absolutely. You know, but yeah, give me water. you know, it's funny because uh, yeah, give me water. Monmouth County is uh, doing some of the things; is they're just not getting the people out. You know, so they're doing automatic aid. Um, they're also doing, uh, you know, daytime crews now in a lot of departments where, you know, you have, you know, maybe, maybe two, sometimes it's just a driver, but there are a couple now that have two, sometimes three guys, you know, there all the time on, you know, until, uh, you know, a certain time at night when they expect to get more people, um, or on the weekend, but some of them now are working, you know, two guys on duty, you know, they do 12 hour shifts, like a per diem thing. And they do it 24-7 now, you know, and, and yeah, it's just the right thing to do, you know. It's, it, you know why? Because we talked about it's all about response times. It ain't not, nothing else. You know what? The people in the other towns don't give a shit. I hate the curse, but what it says on the side of the rig, you know. So so if you think they care, they don't. So, you know, your, 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 your uh, departmental pride, which you should have, um, you know, sometimes it doesn't matter. It actually never matters what it says on the side of the rig, you know, uh, for the most part, for the most part. But, you know, you're doing the classes there. I'm doing classes right now for officers in, in Montclair, Bloomfield, and, and Orange, three departments, and they are doing automatic aid now. Um, there's a, you know, they're almost looking, and, and it's funny because I'm looking at what they're doing now, and they're doing things that we were doing, you know, 30 years ago. They're just starting to get to that. Yes. And then you just have the now have the South Essex Regional Fire Department, which Joey Alvarez is the chief. I didn't know. And it's South Essex. Yeah. It's South Essex. No, it's South Orange and Maplewood. But now what could possibly happen is, is you know, there's, there's five other departments around that, Montclair and Orange and, and Bloomfield sort of including in that. I think there's Nutley and somebody else. And, you know, while they could set up their own little regional department, now you have two of them, you also could wind up with one. You know, I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow. But, I, you know, I said that to these guys and I went, you, you know, I'm, uh, they would tell me about their, their operation and everything. And I said, you know, it's not too far behind you guys. And they're like, yeah, yeah. I go, <coughs> regionalization. excuse me, you know, and, you know, listen, uh, North Hudson proved that it works, you know, in in New Jersey anyway, you know, and uh, so, so I I think some of the people who are more forward thinking and uh, um, uh, they're starting to, you know, sort of embrace this, embrace the idea because, uh, 
you know, no, nobody's got the staffing. You know, you got two two engines and a ladder, and you got three guys in each. You're responding with, you know, at a chief, you're responding with ten guys. Yep. You know, what, what can you do with ten guys when you got exposures and stuff? But at the same time, there are cities, um, and there's three that I know of in Connecticut, maybe more, that have two or three departments in one city. There's one city southeast of me that there's a career department in the middle of the city and then like what I would call the boroughs. They're not really called boroughs, but four other volunteer departments, you know, and there's some, how can I say, some not the best blood so they don't play well in the sandbox together. The city just north of me, um, there are three departments. There's one that's all volunteer. Um, there's a small district, and then there's the downtown. So one city has three different departments. They're working. They work well together at incidents. The one north of me is, you know, they do really well. They, you know, they respond to each other's calls all the time. But to me, it just logically doesn't make sense. And again, it works there, and it works well there. But there's a chief of one department in a district there's uh the volunteer fire department that has a chief and secretaries and and training officers and then there's the downtown department it works though but um the way i look at it it's redundancy and again i didn't grow up in that i didn't grow up in that world uh, but they make it work and they make it work well you know and uh so I just think there's so many different things we can do. I think working together um, is good. Just like we talked about at the beginning of the program, working together as people, um, maybe we can get through all this nonsense that's going on. I want to bring up something else that I've been thinking about that's um, all relatively good. I, lo I love how you segue. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know how to do it other than this, but I've been thinking about it a lot because in Connecticut, what's happening now – and I, saying it negatively, the departments are poaching from each other. They're stealing members. So um, I think I'm starting to see it around the country too. They're doing lateral hires. So if you've gone to an academy and been a career firefighter, they hire you. You can apply for the job and maybe just do a quick oral interview. Um, you you can get hired. And that was unheard of before. Like you started one department, you worked your 20 year plus career in one department. Yeah. Now um, they're moving around. They'll do five years in one department or a lot of people when they get higher up, they'll retire. So they're collecting their pension and then they go get a job as a deputy chief or a training officer in another department. But what I'm seeing it's the firefighter level. I never heard of firefighters leaving a department after five years, but they'll go. Also, I think a lot of it is a change in the pension pension programs. Mm -hmm. They're they're getting pension, insurance, yeah, salary. Well, they're getting you know 401ks now, so that 401k yeah. is transportable. So I have a 401k in ABC department. And that money's in there for when I'm turned 62 or whatever the rules are on 401ks. You go to another department, that money goes with you. Um, you kind of have that in Jersey, uh, but in Connecticut, they're, they're city pensions or municipal pensions. They're not state pensions. 
So if you leave that department, you may, you know, that pension doesn't go with you. But that's all that's all changing with the way uh, municipalities are going with that. Um, you know, and that may even be so I understand it always happened in volunteer departments because, OK, they grow up in a town, they become a volunteer, they get married and they move elsewhere to have kids and, a, and raise a family. They'll join that fire department. And that always made sense to me. Um, but. I see that happening here all the time. People are just moving from one department to another. Another issue, and uh, North Hudson never ran EMS, a true EMS. There's a shortage of paramedics. So paramedics are leaving for signing bonuses to go from one department to another. Well, you don't have to, you don't have to ride an ambulance if you go to this town. Where in my town, as a medic for your first 10 years, you had to not always be on the ambulance, but you had to ride the ambulance. You know, an ambulance will do 11, 12 runs. You know, the medics get beat up no matter where you are. The, we've oversold ourselves on 911. You know, I think it's great, um, but my leg hurts. You know, and they call an ambulance because they think they'll get seen faster in the hospital. And the abuse of the EMS system. So someone to leave a department that runs transport units to go to a department that only has paramedics on the engines is is a big bonus for these guys. Yeah. You know, it's uh Yeah, absolutely. But but they do get beat up, man. They do get beat up, and that and and that is the pro that's the biggest problem. You know, there's the you know the fatigue, the uh, um, they get hurt easier, and the fact that you know they see a lot of things. You know, you start to oh, get yeah. you know PISD issues, yes. you know, and, and you know PTSD, you know all that stuff, you know, and uh, you know that that's that's not good either. No. You know, while we're while we're overworking all these guys, sometimes we probably fail to see that you know they are uh they're not only uh physically being beat up but more importantly they're mentally and psychologically being beat up. yes and um i absolutely think a large part of it is i'll call them bs calls and i really shouldn't say that as a leader I should be saying all calls are important but you go to the the nonsense callers the frequent flyers that there's really nothing wrong and then the same time, there's somebody in cardiac arrest a block away, and you're the last last ambulance in town, um, and you can't help the person that truly needs you. And like you said, the PTSD issues, you know, seeing a seven-year-old kid killed in a car accident and having to treat the person, and um, it it does wear on you. Um, but you save more lives on the EMS side. Um, you help deliver babies. I mean, there's some good stuff, but it's work. And um, sometimes I think the fire guys, me being one of them, um, don't appreciate what they do because they fill both roles in most departments. They're, they're firefighters and and they are um, EMS. And the public mm -hmm. doesn't recognize the value to the taxpayers having dual trained people in on your force 
So the start of this little rant I had, um, is this happening a lot in Jersey, people going from department to department, career departments? Um, no. Yeah. I don't think so. Um, the, the civil service system is, uh, is, is pretty stringent. So, so let's say that you are on in, uh, in Jersey city, right? And, uh, you have friends in Trenton and you would like to do a lateral transfer. I'm not going to, can't. I'm not going to Trenton. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Patterson. Okay. <laughs> no. Yeah. You, you can't do that. You know what you have to do? You have to take the exam and wind up on high enough on the list that they're going to hire you. Yep. Then when they hire you, I believe your seniority does not cross over. Your seniority on the department doesn't cross over, but your seniority in the pension does. Okay. Your rank does not cross over. Yep. You know, so it's 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 kind of interesting. Um, uh, and that's why we don't get that much of that in New Jersey. There are departments that are not civil service. Um that uh and I want to say like Maple Maplewood is one of them. Um uh Montclair is one of them. Uh and uh I'm not sure maybe they do more lateral transfers between departments, you know. Uh I, I don't know. I know there are people that work sometimes for those departments that wind up taking a civil service test. And if that civil service department is either, you know, busy or they want to be busy, uh and again these departments are busy too. Um, or uh, the, the benefits are better or something like that because the departments that are not civil service, they're still in the police and fire pension. Yeah. You know, hmm. so yeah. so I, I think that's one of the reasons there are not too many people that switch departments. Yeah. Oh. However, there are people that go out of state to other departments. There's one guy that you know um, <laughs> that was in Camden. And uh, was I think he was I know he was a captain. He might have been a battalion, but I'm not sure. I think he was a captain in Camden. He just got on the Philadelphia Fire Department. Oh, it's across the street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but but he retired. He's an older dude. Yeah. And I know a guy from um, New Jersey that left his department in Jersey and went to New Haven. Yeah, I know who he is. Riley. Yeah, it's like. It, it's kind of interesting, you know, listen, if I didn't have, you know, if I didn't have ties here, you know, like, which I do, my kids and everything else, I might have done something like that. Yep. There's uh, actually, we just got a, uh, not we, because I don't work there anymore, but a guy just got hired in Wallingford, maybe a couple months ago. He did 21 and a half years in Milford, Connecticut. I know you've been to Milford. Mm -hmm. He actually remembers when yeah. he came and did the class. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, crazy, right? and, um, He's going to do well. He retired, you know, so he's collecting his pension from Milford. And now he's probably going to work, I don't know, maybe five, six. He's young. So maybe he could do 10 mm -hmm. years in Wallingford. And, uh, yeah. you know, and well, that makes sense to me to do that if you've had your time in and you can get hard by selling. You're young. Yeah. yeah. But um, you got no medical issues, you know. But what There's a department in New Jersey, um, one of these departments in Monmouth that does per diem. And you do 12-hour per diem shifts, and they pay it pretty well, and they're looking for guys. And I'm like, shit, man. I'm 62, but, you know. Yep. There's I don't know. A, lot of I don't know. a lot of volunteer departments in Connecticut are now doing daytime per diem. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, um, yeah. you get to keep your your 
who you are as a volunteer fire department, but you pay, pay three guys to be on an engine and run medicals and small fires yeah. during the day. But some of the bigger career departments here, what they're doing, they're running a test. So they're doing a civil service test, but you have to have been a career firefighter or gone through the fire academy, not just a firefighter mm -hmm. one, you have to have been a career firefighter and or went through the Connecticut Fire Academy, the recruit program, because that's a long program. Mm -hmm. It's a live-in program, five days a week, you live there, yeah. a PT and so, so they open it only to certified firefighters. And that doesn't mean firefighter one, it means certified firefighter. Um, and they're just mm -hmm. opening it only to them. Yeah, it's, uh, that's interesting, you know, it's, uh, you know, um, and and there are there are and, and I know career departments frown on this. There are career the career departments that do you know here we do twenty four seventy two, and there are guys that work per diem in in other departments around the state, um, while they're off duty from their career department. The career departments don't like it because if they get hurt, now the it's the career department's insurance most of the time, and the career department now has to pay overtime to replace that yep. guy, and he got hurt somewhere else. Yep. You know, I know they completely frown on being a volunteer in North Hudson for, for that reason. Yep. You know, you get hurt, you get hurt out of here. You know, um, you know, we are, whether we're paying your insurance or not, we lose your services. Yep. Now we're short staffed and we may have to hire overtime, which costs us money. Yep. You know, yeah, it's a tough balance. It's a tough philosophy. It's a tough balance. Guys want to work in their hometown. They want to work in places where, you know, they know everybody and they care, you know. But, uh, you know, I get it. I understand the, the, the career departments, you know, sort of slant on that. I get it, you know. Yeah, but but, but here's the thing. And, uh, and I hate to keep going back to Long Island, but the reason the volunteers on Long Island are so successful, why they're not having a recruitment and retention problem, a lot of off-duty city cops and off-duty mm -hmm. city firefighters <laughs> Uh, and off-duty EMS people, um, mm -hmm. they live out east, as I'll say. Yeah, I, and I that's my home. And, and I understand, um, you know, the department's not wanting you to do that. But you know what? I grew up here. This is where I got my interest to become a firefighter. I volunteered in my hometown. Yeah. And, um, and I give back. But, you know, use caution. <laughs> you know, as a volunteer, if you're on probation and you're in uh, the fire academy, don't be volunteering. You know, take a leave of absence mm. or something. You get hurt on probation. See you later. Bye. You no longer have a career. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know, so, yeah, it's got to be smart. You know what? You have to research it. You got to look at all the ins and outs and you have to make the best decision, you know, for yourself, for your family. You know, for your department that's paying your salary, you gotta make the best decision on that type of thing. You know. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's been interesting, um, but I see a lot of changes in the fire service, and I'm not talking about um, what you do on the fire ground, but how they're managed or run or all of that is changing so fast because because of money. Um, because people aren't volunteering anymore um, like they did in the 60s, 70s, you know, people, they don't want to do it. And uh, I just taught in a 
little town south here, and I have to give them kudos, uh, North Madison in um, just south of me here. It's here in Connecticut. I did a class there, and there was like 30 people, 30 volunteers came to my class. And like in a volunteer, a small volunteer community, they have that many members. And I, I was pretty excited mm -hmm. to see that, you know, and it ran the gamut from people as old as me to a couple of 18 year old kids. And I, I think that's exciting. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big wide spot. Like I told them, I got T-shirts older than those guys, <laughs> and fire department T-shirts older than those guys. The underwear you're wearing is probably older than them. Uh, no, I'm going commando. <laughs> oh no! I am, I am not. But I thought that would be funny. But um, nah. it's it's amazing. You know, and some places can't get volunteers at all. Um, they can't get volunteer little league coaches. I, I look at Frank Fiscuso. I love what he does mm -hmm. with his kids. You know, I think that's yeah, wonderful. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. you know, when I was a kid, when my dad was a, a coach, they almost had a fight who would get the jobs and the, the teams. There were so many fathers who wanted to be. Yeah. Now they're begging for them to come and help. Yeah, when I was a kid, we, we were – we were fortunate to have some unbelievably great coaches, and, and they were a ton of them. Yeah. You know? But, yeah, I'm not sure how it is now. I mean, I, I volunteered to coach, when I, you know, but I have girls, and they were playing soccer, and I don't know soccer. You know, I did volunteer to coach softball, and, and I'll tell you what, you know, it's like, you know, I've uh, I've coached kids that went to the NFL in high, when I coached in high school. I've, you know, I've, you, know you, you stand in front of a building, people jumping out of it, you know, like – I was more petrified of coaching five-year-old girls in softball than I was of anything else I've ever done. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was so out of my comfort zone. Then I wound up coaching soccer, and I don't know. I, you know, try, I can't show them what to do. I, I was a football guy. I don't know the first thing about soccer. I believe, you know, if God wanted you to play soccer, he would have, wouldn't have given you hands, you know. But I'm just, uh, you know. But yeah, listen, you know, the volunteerism in, in and it, it, it's, it, I think it's a function of of society because people have to work more you know and then that you know everything has gone up people have to work more to make make ends meet you know kids have to work too in in some instances and they don't get that chance to either you know give back as a volunteer because i i i coached when i was younger and i coached high school football uh when i was younger and you know so you gave back you know but uh kids today um it, it's a little more difficult because they have more demands on them you know so they so they have to work and they have to work longer hours or more jobs. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And this is okay, and this okay. is stealing some of their time too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a great yeah. it's a great tool, but um, you know, it can't be all you do. Um, mm. a, a little commercial. Mm. Um, you know, my sister wrote a book a while ago called "Don't Press Send." It's about a a mindful use of social media, how to treat people right, how to mm. um, you know. Don't spend all your time on it. She just wrote another book for little kids, like toddlers. It's called Bye Bye Wi-Fi. So, wow. Bye Bye Wi. It's it's a it's a picture book. It's a read with your three year old kid book. Basically, what it talks about this Fox family uh, lost um, their internet, their Wi-Fi, and they were all 
I'm going to have a bad, bad, bad day. And then it turned out they went out and played games and horseshoes and hide and seek and that, you know, they're having fun because they had no Wi-Fi, you know, things that they don't do mm. anymore. And, uh, you know, it's only 20 pages. It's it's aimed at, you know. Yeah, yeah but, it, but it's got a great message. It does because um, – there's so much fun outside your door, and um, it's kind. Of, it was just published. It's it's a, it's actually sold out at Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Both sold out. So I guess there's a need for it, you know. So um, yeah, you know what? Very good. I, this is so useful to me. You know, the GPS the information, like you talk about. Of you sent me the videos from that fire we were talking about. You know, or mm. um, I hear there's a fire you know, or building collapse in the Bronx, you know, and I, and I Googled, see what's going on. And I found um, on the news was Glenn Corbett talking about building collapse yeah. Yeah. and the facades and whether it's a load bearing wall. And, and you listen to the, the news people trying to tell them what's going on. And you go, no, no, this was not, this is what's holding the building up. And I watched Glenn try to dance. But they kept interrupting him when he was trying yeah. to explain. But, but Glenn is brilliant, you know. He's yeah, Glenn's the best. You know, he's the best. He's a treasure. He really is. Um, yeah, but, yeah. You know, and yeah. I know what he's trying yeah. to say. And I'm watching the news people say, "Oh, what you're saying is," and I'm going, "No, that's not what he's saying." <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. You know, Listen, it's this. I'll tell you what I'm saying. Don't tell me what I'm saying. I'll tell you what. I'm oh saying, yes. Right? Listen, they, they don't they don't know who he is. No. You know, so they're used to interrupting because they like to hear themselves talk. Yes. Yeah. But they also have yeah. their opinion before they ask you a question. They oh, <laughs> I was the PO, PIO uh for Wallingford for oh a while when I was captain there. And um you know, the news media would come in and say, so what you're saying is, no, listen to what I'm saying. And you would say, yeah, so you're, saying you're saying this fire was probably arson. No, I'm saying it's under investigation. They have not found the course yet. So it might be arson. No, that's not what I said. They do not. And, you know, they want the conflict. They want you to say something. Yeah. You know, oh, this they can get, and you know, they yeah, years ago, news people didn't have opinions, they just reported on right. the news. Walter Cronkite, yeah, I was thinking the same thing, man. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you one story about this. So, we had a fire, it was a big Victorian, uh, three story, um, balloon frame house. I mean, you know, it was a hoarder house, so it was really a nightmare. So, on arrival, I said, We got a good fire. Um, now it's a side street, a connecting street, and it's got like two inch mains that were put in a hundred years ago. So there's a hydrant right in front of the house. So I tell the water supply engine to go to main street or to Elm street. I don't remember which one it was, but it's got a, it's got a 14 inch main running down the street. that's probably 10 years old. So all of a sudden, the press is there. The neighbors are complaining that the hydrant in front of the house is broken. And I go, this is when we were cleaning up. So they're interviewing me. There's nothing wrong with the hydrant in front of the house. Well, how come you didn't? And, you know, they start 
you know, and the, the uh, councilman actually lived on that block, one of the uh, city councilmen. So he came over and says, yeah, what's this? I go, Scott, who's the pump operator? I go, do me a favor. Take the cap off this hydrant and open it and show them that it works fine. So then, so the pr press is like, well, why didn't you use it? So I said, let me explain. <laughs> and it had to be really, really slow and careful. This is a tiny little main. On arrival, I said, this looks bad. We might have to go defensive before we're done, which requires a lot of water. So the big main is, I'm going to say, 750 feet away. Or I got this little main right in front of the fire. So we're ensuring that we get this fire out. And, you know, again, I don't think they were happy with my answer. You know, they kind of said, oh, yeah, yeah okay. And they walked away and they never even talked about the hydrogen on the news later. Of course not, because you didn't, you know, they they couldn't catch you doing something, you know, uh, that, that they could say that you don't know your job. Right. But I have to do tell you, I scored some big points with the chief that day. He goes, I can't believe you knew that. I go, this is what you pay me to do. I better know that. <laughs> you better know that. Exactly, yeah. You're a chief. You don't know your water supply. He, no, he, he understood it, but he was surprised that I saw that that early in the incident. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It just it just made so much sense. Well, you would have tipped a spear. You would have, you would have shot this guy in the yeah. block. Thank God. And you know what? Um, here brings me to a whole nother hoarder houses. The truck company spent their whole first 10 minutes just clearing stuff off the stairs so we could get a hose line up. Our initial attack lines up to the third floor were up a 35 foot ladder. That was the only way to get up there because there was just so much stuff, boxes of stuff, brand new stuff never opened. Yeah. The front door you couldn't get into at all. We had to go to the seaside. Do you use one, two, three, four or A, B, C, D? A, B, C, D. Yeah, us too. Uh, I, I have a hard time when I'm in the Northeast because it depends on who you're talking to when they say, oh, you mean the three side? Yeah, yeah. the three side. Yeah, yeah. Uh, New York uses that. And they probably, do they use that in Long Island? Um, they use both. It kind of trend, it kind of flips back and forth. It's really officially mm -hmm. A, B, C, D, but, you know, it's just natural and normal because before there was an official. Yeah. Incident command system, they were using one, two, three, four. They really were um, mm -hmm. way back, but mm -hmm. it drifted in from New York City. So here's a question if they use sides one, two, three, four, are the exposures exposure, you know, three, three, or is it exposure B and D? Um, officially, floors are one, two, three, four, but exposures continue mm -hmm. with ABC, but it begins with. Ex they do. Exposure, okay. yeah, I wasn't sure. Exposure A. No, it won't be exposure A because that would be the street. Um, exposure yeah. B or exposure C or or D. So they would they would say exposure as part of the, the description. Yeah. So the, the sides of the building are, are numerical, but the exposures are alphabetical. Oh. Right. No, I thought you're talking about Long Island, the city. Um, well, uh, well, what about the city? I don't and, know. Uh, what? Uh, I don't know. I think they say exposure number. Ex exposure, ex yeah, exposure two, exposure four, yeah. right? 
but, where we would say B and D. But what about the third expo- uh, role with taxpayers, storefronts? Mm-hmm. How do you say your exposure? Yeah, so that be, well, we would be, you know, B1, B2, B3. Yep. Would they be, you know, uh, 2A, 2B? Would it be the opposite? Yeah. I wonder. My, I wonder. My description, you use, you know. not official, but I would say it's the pharmacy. Go in the pharmacy. <laughs> the third, or I would say the third store down. You know, I honestly, we, mm-hmm. I don't think in my department we had an official way to, on paper, when we, oh, okay. when we were yeah, learning, so. we used all those designations, exposure 1A, yeah, but, yeah, we, but yeah. you know, in real life, English. The rest, yeah. the rest. That's why I said they, they uh, dragged that, that captain to the D1 roof because he was down on the D exposure roof. So it was D1 where they took him, yeah. you know? So yeah, to, to me, that's just, you know, comes right off the tongue, you know, but if, if they do it, why don't they do it opposite? So, you know, I don't know. 2D, yeah. Uh, you know like what? Exposure to four buildings over. I'm going to call somebody as soon as we're finished with this. Yeah, yeah, we got works done. We'll, we'll, we'll come back next month and we'll discuss this. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Or the next two months, or whatever. We, whatever yeah, we I think go, we're about right? six weeks out. Although those they haven't been uh, done yet. Um, no, they haven't. We usually about six weeks. Every six weeks we go. Six, seven. Weeks. Yep. So um, it's pretty pretty interesting. How again we're changing so yep. much, and our, our fire ground operations mm-hmm. are still the same. You know, get in, uh, fire mm-hmm. attack, get water on the fire, ventilate. And coordinate ventilation um, and search. I mean, that hasn't changed um, in 200 years. You know, maybe more. I don't know. Uh, but how we're organizing, how we do what we do, is is becoming more complicated. Some of it, I think, is more so. Um, but um, you know, that's pretty much it. I think we've beat a dead horse. To, to death again. Um, yeah, yeah. You did. Listen, I, I, it's, I, I want. We always, we always have fun. Yes. And um, um, hopefully, uh, I know Brian's not going to get here, um, but maybe Brian mm-hmm. can record something and send it to Mark, and Mark can edit it in. You know, it may not look the same, but they can, oh, yeah. maybe they can just put him in. I don't know all the. Um, you know how fire engineering feels about commercials, because but I think it's what he's doing. It'll, it'll be just fine. You know, um, mm-hmm. Brian's a great guy, and uh, his boss is a great guy. I love those guys. I'm going to see him in February. I'm probably doing my last winter fire school in Missouri. I, I'm not flying in February anymore. <laughs> no, you know, no, it just no. maybe I'll do one more in Nebraska because I love those guys. I, I, you know what? I like the guys in Missouri too. But anyway, yeah, I'll be in Orlando. Um, is that still going on? Mm-hmm. It is okay. I heard one of them in in uh, mm-hmm. Florida was collapsing. Yeah, well, one of them was canceled. Okay, I was doing that one. That's why I wasn't doing either uh, Missouri or, or Nebraska. Okay, and it was canceled. Okay, but anyway, uh, uh, I'm going to cut this short. Um, we all got a lot of things to do, and uh, tell your daughters I said Merry Christmas. You know that. You too, Sam. You, Maureen, and your family. Yeah, um, I'm looking forward. It's gonna be it's gonna be a, a an interesting um, 
busy one. Um, but uh, stay safe. And to the uh, firefighters out there, be careful. The ice season is coming. Uh, watch out for the roads when you're driving. Watch out for the runoff from the engines in front of the fire building. A lot of in a lot of injuries hurt this time of year. Also, your muscles are stiff and cold, so pl please be careful. Uh, love you all, and uh, thanks for tuning in. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Um, shameless plug. It, you're talking about cold weather firefighting. My ar article coming out in January is called The Strategic Considerations of Cold Weather Firefighting. So I got an article in January. I have my fourth edition, which has been submitted. Hopefully it will be out during 2024 at some time. And uh, just one last thing I wanted to say about the, the North Hudson thing. Um, and, and this is a cliche, but it, it really, there are no routine fires, man. They just aren't. That fire they thought was going to be, you know, we got the lines in place with not a problem. And all of a sudden everything went sideways. You know, you, ne you never know. As Bobby Halton used to say, you never know when the joke is going to pop out of the deck. And you have to always be vigilant in, in that respect. You know, wear your gear, protect yourself, always continue to size up, make sure you have two ways out of every area. Like these are things that, you know, lessons that were learned and reinforced at, at this incident because the joker did pop out of the deck. So, um, you know, with that said, you know, I'm you know, wishing everybody a Merry Christmas and a safe and healthy New Year. Yeah, I have to add one thing. Um, sadly, uh, tomorrow, um, Bobby Halton will be gone one year. Mm. And so, um, you know, uh, he helped me so much, gave me so much guidance in delivering classes and, and how to reach people. Um, I quote him in all my classes. He's always said, it's not with you don't know that it'll get you in trouble. It's not what you know that'll get you in trouble. It's what you think you know that you don't know that will get you in trouble. And I love that quote, but there's so many, you know, uh, from Bobby, but um, Bobby, um, we all, none of us would be here uh, if it wasn't for Bobby and his predecessors. Um, and obviously for David filling in and, and taking us forward um, and Diane, mm -hmm. You know, so uh, thank you all and uh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. And, what, all you guys. and whatever else you celebrate. Peter, thank you for uh, helping us Thanks, here today. Peter. And uh, Thanks, enjoy your days today, folks. Stay safe. Till next time. The Fire Store, equipping protectors with passion. Every decision the Fire Store makes as a company is about its customers. As the holiday season has quickly approached, explore a wide selection of unique and practical gifts at the Fire Store's gift center. Find the perfect presence for firefighters, EMTs, and first responders today. The Fire Store's goal is to get you the gear you need when you need it at prices you can afford. Visit thefirestore.com for everything but the truck and shop its family of brands including Streamlight, MSA, Lion, Fleer, and more. Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, 
visit magnagrip.com.